Well, we're going to uh, turn our attention now to God's Word, and uh, I want to invite you to open up your Bible uh, to the book of John. And uh, if you um, uh, probably already saw as you came in, there's a little giveaway uh, to uh, what we're going to be studying next, and that is the book of John. As you came in this morning, um, you saw on your uh, seats uh, one of these scripture journals. This has become a bit of part of our rhythm around here, is as we enter into a new book and begin a new series, um, we uh, make these available to you. So that is uh, yours to take home. Um, there's a Venmo um, a little a QR code. That, no, I'm just kidding. Those are free. We, we already got those. Some of you are like, oh man, we're charging now? Um, <laughs> I didn't know. I already wrote in mine. <laughs> uh, no, we've. Uh, this is a gift for you. Uh, what we want to do as we walk through this is it's an opportunity to uh, just interact with, study, uh, uh, um, uh, really pour over God's Word. And so you can use it however you want. If you want to bring it and take sermon notes, that's great. If you want this to be kind of your personal journal and you uh, maybe write some prayers in there or you study with it, however this best serves you, uh, that is our uh, gift to you. And uh, we are going to be starting a series in the book of John. And we're calling the series... Um, uh, life in His Name, and I could not be more excited about this series. I've been uh, had the Book of John on my heart for quite some time. Um, I've studied it on and off over the last uh, year or so in preparation, kind of waiting, expectation for when are we going to look at the Book of John together, and um, and just over the course of the summer and and uh, leading up to uh, these months, it just felt like the right time for us to dive into uh, this. Book. And what I want to do this morning as we get ready to start this, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a journey. I'll just tell you up front, the book of John has 21 chapters. Um, four years ago, we began a study in the book of Mark, and that has 16 chapters. It took us um, just under a year uh, to walk through the book of Mark. So this is going to be a series that we're going to be in for a while. Now, I say that. We're going to take some detours. We're going to take some pauses and kind of look at some other things. But this is going to be a journey that we're going to be on uh, together. And before, you know, some of you are like, man, I've never Ever been in a, in a church that, that stays in one book for so long, um, let me just kind of, I'd love to just lay out for us what John is all about, because um, there's a reason for this. I think this is actually going to be uh, really good uh, for us. In order to understand the book of John, you have to understand uh, the whole of Scripture, right? We come in here each week, and one of the things that we do at City on a Hill is we open up the Word of God each and every week. Right? If you ever come here on a Sunday and your Bible doesn't need to be open, um, that's the Sunday that you should schedule a meeting with myself or one of the elders um, because we have lost uh, track of where we're going. Like you need to be, we need this book. We're in this book. This is, um, it's not even a, uh, just a book, it's a collection of books. There's 66 books. And if you want to know the cliff notes on all of this, it's all about Jesus. The entire book is all about Jesus. Everything from cover to cover is all about Jesus. Certainly in the New Testament, you find the Gospels, which are the account of Jesus and his life. And that's one of what John is. It's one of the Gospels. And then after that, you find um, the Acts of the Apostles after Jesus' death and resurrection. Then you see the beginning of the church, what happened in response to Jesus' ministry and his teaching and his commissioning of the disciples. And then you find these, uh, what we call epistles or letters that were written in response to that, to the church and what they were doing and all about unpacking all the ministry and, and teaching of Jesus as it applies to life and ministry. And then you have Revelation, which is the coming of Christ again. So that's the New Testament, certainly all pointing to Jesus. What about the Old Testament? 
Well, the Old Testament is all in preparation of Jesus coming. And many times in the New Testament, in John chapter 5, it says that the scriptures, Jesus said this, the scriptures testify about me. And he was referring to the Old Testament. He's like, all the scriptures, they testify about me. In John 1, uh, one of his followers finds Jesus and he says about him, he says he found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. Jesus is the revelation of the prophets, the, the, the one who was to come, the Messiah. And then in Revelation 19, you see that Christ is the theme of prophecy. And so Christ is, Jesus Christ is the central figure, the central purpose, the central theme of the entire book of the Bible. But now, as we get ready to jump into the book of John, how does that inform or how does that fit our kind of context of John? Well, one of the things you have to understand about John, John is one of the most frequented and theologically significant books in the entire Bible, maybe all of literature. It is not a stretch to say that. And all of the gospel writers, each four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all wrote with a specific theme or purpose in mind. Matthew uh, was written to speak to Jesus' kingship. Luke, or sorry, Mark, uh, wrote to speak to Jesus' servanthood. Luke speaks of Jesus' manhood. John has the theme of Jesus' godhood. It is different than all. Of, of all the four, it is what you would call probably the most spiritual or sort of heavenly of the Gospels. It speaks to the divine nature of Jesus more than any of the other uh, three. And it was written, just to kind of give some context, I'm just going to give you a little bit of uh, sort of background that's going to help us as we get ready to enter into John. The book of John um, was written by um, John. That's why it's called the Gospel according to John, though he doesn't refer to himself uh, throughout the entire book. He refers to himself as the beloved or the one Jesus loved. And uh, that was, he was one of the kind of close three, you know, that the Jesus had his 12 disciples and then of those 12, there were three that were a little bit closer, Matthew, Mark, or sorry, um, Peter, James, and John, right? So John, one of his kind of close three, it was the one that Jesus loved. And let's be honest, right? If you had this sort of nickname, you would want to use it, right? Like <laughs> if you were known as the one Jesus loved, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go with that, right? And so that's why he's referred to himself in there um, as John, uh, but he also penned um, you know, some of the other uh, letters that we have, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But this gospel was written after, toward the end of John's life. So by this point, he's an old man. He's been following Jesus for a long time, and he's, he's writing at the end of his life after the other gospels presumably had been written, kind of speaking to more of the circumstances, the life, the teaching, and John writes with a completely different theme in mind. Of uh, the Gospel of John, Augustine said this, that the Gospel of John is deep enough uh, for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. John was writing to everybody, which should encourage our hearts. He's writing to us. He was writing to Jews and Gentiles alike. He was writing to believers and unbelievers alike. He was writing to those who uh, were convinced and those who were unconvinced. And so not one of us in this room today uh, is not the intended audience that John was writing to. It's deep enough for an elephant to swim. You could study the book of John for the rest of your life and still mine new truths. 
but it's shallow enough for a child not to drown. You might be opening the Bible for the very first time today, and I tell you that there are truths that you will see so very clearly in this particular book. To kind of put it against the backdrop of the other Gospels, let me just kind of unpack some of that. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptics. If you've ever heard of the synoptic Gospels, the other three are called the synoptics. That means um, basically that they're, they're, they're connected, they're similar, they kind of overlap, they tell a lot of the same. The reason that John is not one of the synoptics is because there's so much material that's unique to John and so much material in the others that is not included in John. We're going to see some of that even today. And so John does not have the narrative, uh, it does not have narrative parables. There's no account of the transfiguration. There's no record of the Lord's institution of, of, of communion, of the Lord's Supper. There's no report of Jesus casting out a demon in the book of John. There's no mention of Jesus' temptations. The baptism of Jesus and the calling of the disciples is, is kind of alluded to, but not described. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, which is a major theme in the Gospels, is barely even mentioned in the book of John. What we see in the book of John is there's a lot of unique material, things that aren't in the other Gospels, like the miracle of water to wine, which will come up across in just a couple weeks. The dialogue with Nicodemus and his ministry in Samaria. The resurrection of Lazarus is only in the book of John. Several visits to Jerusalem are only recorded for us here in this Gospel. The dialogues in the temple and the synagogue, there's many unique dialogues only recorded for us in John. And much of his private instruction to the disciples was recorded for us in this gospel. And so what we're going to see as we go through this is that the chronology of events was not as important to John as the theme that he is trying to unpack. John was writing with a very specific purpose as he penned this account. You want to know what that purpose is? Well, he kind of had sort of two connected purposes in mind. For the unbeliever, it's this. If you don't know or believe Jesus, the purpose is this, that you would know Jesus and believe in him, and by believing in him, that you would find life in his name. See, we get the title for our series. I'm not just making this stuff up. You know, I don't just sit in the room trying to <laughs> kind of come up. I just kind of go with what, what did God, like what was his intention with the book, and then kind of go with that. I figure that's sort of the best course of action for us. But John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we'll put it up here on the screen. It says this. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John himself is acknowledging. He's like, I didn't, I didn't record everything that Jesus did. Right? There's other things that happened that I didn't write down. But the things that I did write down, why did I write them down? It's this. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Life in his name. And so if you're here this morning and you are in the unconvinced, unsure, doubtful category, the book of John is exactly what you need. In fact, I would encourage you to stick, it, stick with us through this entire series because if you're unconvinced by the end, I don't know what's going to convince you. John writes with this purpose in mind, that you would believe and that you would have life in his name. But what about for the many of us that are in this room? I mean, I think there's plenty of us here that would say, well, I already believe, right? Like, what does John have for me? And to the believer, the purpose is this, is that it would be an ongoing 
expansion of the understanding of Jesus and his identity and his godhood and his mission, his purpose for your life. And that by believing afresh that you would continue to find life in his name. See, we don't need just kind of one charge of life from Jesus. We need an ongoing dose of life from Jesus, do we not? I've alluded to this, um, I think this kind of section um, uh, of, of writing a few times before, but I just think of it often because it's such a good example. C.S. Lewis, in his um, Chronicles of Narnia, um, there's an interaction between Lucy and Aslan, and uh, she comments that he, he appears to be bigger. Like, you know, she's returning to the land of Narnia, and she's like, you look bigger. Um, have you gotten bigger? And the reply was something I'm kind of I'm sort of summarizing here, but he's like, no, I haven't gotten bigger, Lucy. You have. You've gotten bigger. And by you getting bigger, you recognize and understand that I am bigger. Listen, can I just like begin our study by telling you this? I've been walking with the Lord for nearly four decades now. I've taken classes on this book. I've read books on this book. I've walked people through this book. I've preached from this book many, many times. I want to tell you in the last year as I've been studying it on and off that God has continued to show me that he is even bigger than I thought he was before I opened this book. And that's the desire that I have for our church. I know we just finished a series on Jesus is better, uh, and that kind of talked a lot about what, what Jesus, kind of the result of his work and, and what he did. But this is, I think, and, and even that study through Hebrews kind of directed me toward this. I think this is what we need right now, church, is we need to look at Jesus. We need to revisit the gospels often. We need to return to the person of Christ often. Because my guess is, for some of us, John was actually a huge instrument in your life when you began following Jesus, right? Maybe somebody shared with you this verse that is probably one of the most recognizable, known, memorized verses in all of Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a good chance that that verse or other passages in John were used to bring you to Christ, to bring you to a believing knowledge of him. But we need to return back there that we would have a bigger picture, a bigger understanding, a better realization of who Jesus is. And so I'm excited. I, I, I am like so excited about what this is gonna be for this next year plus for us. I told uh, the team this morning as we were getting ready, we're gonna be kind of on a, um, I would say between a brisk walk and a jog through it, okay? So we're not gonna crawl. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to, here in a minute, we're going to kind of start walking through it. We're going to get through 18 verses this morning. We're not going to get into all of it. We could easily spend six weeks walking through these 18 verses. But I want us to see all 18 up front because it's an intro for the entire book. It's good for us to kind of set the stage with this. But I wanted to take a minute to sort of paint the picture of where it is that we're going. Because if I'm going to ask you to commit the next year, year and a half plus of your life to this book, it better have some good ramifications for us, right? Like it's a, that's, a, that's a, a, a big endeavor for us together, but I believe that we as a church, you as a person, your family, your home, your relationship with Jesus will be blessed through it. The title of the sermon this morning is this, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. <laughs> the book of John is all about Jesus. Your life and your circumstances are all about Jesus. What we're going to see this morning, sometimes I think in the culture and kind of context we live, 
Jesus gets relegated to a religious thing. Jesus gets relegated to a Sunday sort of thing. It's so much more than that. Jesus is a person, and everything in your life, your very being, your very existence, your very purpose for life is found in the person of Jesus. We're gonna see as we walk through this that it is about the identity, the power, the mission of Jesus, and then we'll be moved to join him on that. I can't wait to get started. Let me just pray, and then we're gonna jump into this together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the instruction that it has for us. And God, we thank you for telling us, showing us who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, you sent your son to us. And Lord, we get the opportunity to follow and to know and to understand him through uh, this gospel, this gospel account which you gave us, Lord, through your servant John. And so I pray that you would teach us, that you would um, increase our understanding, but God, more than that, that you would stir in our hearts, Lord, that you would move us to belief or to greater belief, God, to fresh belief, to a belief that, that lives itself out in every facet, every area of our life. God, would you convince us all the more as we walk through this together, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, um, have you ever heard the phrase, you know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, okay? So we're about to eat an elephant. We're gonna go through one bite at a time here. We're gonna start with this passage right here. Let me give you the big idea. If you're taking notes, write this down. You must know that everything is about Jesus. You must know that everything is about Jesus. That's what John's trying to convince us of this morning. We're gonna see this uh, played out. Let's look at the first three verses together um, in scripture. It says this, uh, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If we're going to know that everything is about Jesus, we've got to know who Jesus is. And that's what uh, the, the, uh, this, this passage begins with. This is kind of an intro to the entire book. Um, this is sort of the preamble to the prologue here in these first few verses. But it's this, is that uh, if you're taking notes, write this down, that Jesus is God revealed. Jesus is God revealed. That's what's going on here. Let me unpack this and show this uh, to us here. Uh, notice how it begins. It says, in the beginning. That should sound familiar to us. Uh, if you've read the Bible or started at the beginning, uh, that usually seems like, like if you're brand new to Scripture and you want to read the Bible, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to give you some pointers. A lot of times we kind of like pick it up like other books, right? We start on page one and just sort of start. That's going to go well for you for like ah, a while, and then you're going to kind of um, you know, run into some questions there. And so there's, there's some other ways, but, but, but if you've read the Bible, you know that it says, in the beginning... And so this is intentional. And if it's the beginning isn't stipulated, it's like, well, what beginning? What is he talking about? It's like the beginning, in the beginning of the universe, in the beginning of all things. And he's trying to make a point that like, kind of starting from a different place. Where do the other gospels begin? Well, it starts in Bethlehem or it starts in, uh, you know, with Mary and with, um, uh, with the, the, you know, John coming to Elizabeth and we have, you know, angels and all of that. Like, John doesn't start with any of that. He goes all the way back, right, to the very beginning of all existence in the beginning was. In the beginning was what? The word. He uses this word here. The, the Greek word is logos. 
and he uses it with intentionality. Uh, logos means uh, revelation or, or kind, of the, kind of spoken or revealed uh, word. And the reason he's doing this is he's trying to kind of draw attention to the fact that Jesus had a name or existed long before he was called Jesus. We don't often think of this, but when Jesus began being referred to as Jesus, it's when Mary and Joseph were there in that, uh, that stable holding him, and, uh, and, and, and they called him the name that they were told by the angel. Jesus means Yahweh saves. So before he was kind of born, he wasn't referred to in kind of that name in that way uh, like that. And so that's why John here is using this word, the word. It's the revelation. It's the, the spoken word. So in the beginning, all the way back before, for all of time, was the word. He's referring to Jesus here. Jesus has always existed. Let me say it another way. There's never been a time when Jesus didn't exist. I used to do this as a kid. I still do this. Sometimes you try and think about that. Like think about eternity for just a few minutes. Not right now, but like later. Like think about eternity and, and it blows your mind, right? Because everything we know has a start and has an end, right? Jesus never did. He always was. And so that's where John begins. In the beginning was the word. Jesus exists for all of eternity, and he's looking here um, to, there's a lot of connections with the Old Testament with this word. God's word is a powerful self-expression. We see this in creation, right? If you read through Genesis 1, it says, uh, in the beginning, God, God was there. And what did he do? It says God spoke, he said. And as he spoke, creation, things were made by his voice, by the words of his mouth. And so you see his expression in creation. You see his um, his, his self-expression through revelation, right? He gave us the, the, the written word of God and, and through the prophets, he, he spoke through that. And then also through salvation, he's revealing himself. But his ultimate self-revelation, the ultimate revelation of God is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what John's trying to get at. In the beginning was the word. It's the revelation of Jesus that is, or of God in Jesus that has always existed he goes on here. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So now we have this picture of, there's, it's, the with is not just kind of next to or sort of nearby. It's, it's with as in like in relationship with. So now it's kind of unpacking, laying this foundation for the understanding of the Trinity here. What it's saying is that the Father and the Son, God the Father, God the Son, have always existed in relationship for all of time. There's never been a time when the word was not with God when, God was, when Jesus was not in relationship with the Father. Just that little word there. In the beginning, the word was with God, right? He was with God. And then he says, and the word was God. Those four little words, the word was God, packs such a punch. It's not just saying that Jesus was with God. Jesus was near God. Jesus is a God. What it's saying is that the word was God. He is God. Jesus is God revealed. And it's written in such a way that leaves no daylight there. And we have to understand that there's a lot of distortions of this very truth today, always have been, right? It's not enough to say that Jesus was God-like or that he had godly characteristics it's not enough to say that Jesus was a God. 
See, there's a lot of false religions, a lot of world religions that would say that, that would claim that Jesus was a God. They would kind of put him up on the shelf with everyone else, all the other gods, and little a, little g, uh, a God. But that's not what it's saying here. It's saying that Jesus was God. The word was God. He is God. And we need to, this is kind of like that do not, cross, do not pass go, sort of stop right here sort of moment for us that if we don't understand or get this, we can go no further. We have to understand the godness of Jesus Christ. To unpack that further, verse two, he kind of goes on. He says, he was in the beginning with God, just kind of repeating that again. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Again, double emphasis on this. All things were made. What things? All things. Is there anything that's not covered by all? No. All things were made, and without him was not anything made. So is there anything that's made that he did not make? No. It's all things that are through him. Again, pointing to the godness of Jesus. And oftentimes, as we come across these truths, I mean, these are lofty things for us. We could just kind of close our Bibles right here and think about this for the rest of the day, and this would have enough to kind of carry us on. And so what I want to do is just kind of give us a couple minutes right here in the middle of the sermon to just think about the godness of Jesus, right? As we think about that all things being made through him, I think sometimes we forget just how massive the universe, the world is that we live in. And there's a video that I found um, a couple years ago. I've been sitting on it waiting for this opportunity. This is the perfect time to show you this. And so what I want to do, it's, it's going to take a couple minutes to kind of watch this. But what you're going to see is a little zoom out of our world to get a sense of the scope of the universe that was made by Jesus. Take a look at this. It's quite a journey, huh? Like I think sometimes we forget just how massive that is. I don't know about you, but we should all feel pretty, pretty small at this moment, right? Like how many times though does the, do we feel like the universe revolves around us and that we're the center of it? Scripture says the very opposite of that, that the entire universe exists not only for Jesus, but through Jesus. Let me give you a verse, Colossians uh, 1, uh, 15, uh, beginning in verse 15, it says this. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through and for him. We find in scripture the truth that it teaches that all of life, all of the universe, everything holds its existence, is held together by Jesus and so not just the greatness, kind of the bigness scanning back, but also if you think about the, the microparticles and the, those protons, those neutrons, right? Like all that, those science things that we learned about, right? I barely understand that. Jesus is holding all of that together. Every particle of the universe he is aware of. And he was present and instructive in its creation. This is the Jesus that we are talking about here. Jesus was God is God. He was with God. He was God. In the beginning was the word, the self-revelation of God. God has revealed himself through creation, certainly. God has revealed himself through his word, his written word, certainly. But God has best revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. He is one of the Trinity, three persons. We're going to kind of come across this as we get into it, but the groundwork is being laid here for the understanding of 
the Trinity. I wanted to spend a little extra time on these first few verses because, again, if we miss this, we're missing the point that John has for us. The rest of the gospel is meant to be read with these verses in mind, that the word was God and nothing was made apart from him without him. And so we understand that Jesus is God revealed. Let's continue on. Uh, Look at your scripture in in verse four. It says this. It says, in him, that is Jesus, right? In the word was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me just pause here and kind of uh, pull back the curtain a bit on what we're gonna find as we walk through. There are several themes that John loves to kind of go back to. And, and we, get, we see three of them right here, life, light, and darkness. And those both have a physical and a spiritual connotation, right? Like in the world, there was darkness, and Jesus came to bring physical light, right? He spoke the universe, the stars, the planets into existence. In him was life. There, was, uh, uh, there is both physical life, that is found in Jesus, but there's also spiritual life that is found in Jesus. There is uh, spiritual darkness in the same way that there's physical darkness in God. Jesus came to bring the light into that darkness. So he's introducing some of these themes. Let's continue on. Verse six, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's not referring to himself. He's referring to John the Baptist. All right, and so this is kind of the place where Jesus' ministry is kind of setting the context. He's like, okay, so we went all the way back to the beginning. Now let's fast forward to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it didn't actually begin with Jesus himself. It began with this man, John. Who was John? Well, it says in verse seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John was a forerunner. He was um, the last of the, uh, the Old Testament prophets, right? He's speaking um, the truth about who Jesus is, and he's coming before that all would believe in him. And he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, it continues, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, And they did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down the second truth about Jesus that we need to understand. It's this, is that Jesus is the only source of life. Jesus is the only source of of life. He's the giver of physical life, and he's the only giver of spiritual life. Life. Apart from him, there is only death. In him was life. The life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. See, I don't know about you. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the contest between the Bears and the Packers this afternoon. Um, I know history is on our side, right? We've enjoyed, I think, eight or nine consecutive wins. It's been since 2018 that the Packers lost to the Bears. But it's a new era. It's a new season, right? The reason that it's exciting this afternoon is because none of us know how the game is going to go. And I know some of you don't care. Just hang with me. It's it's like NFL kickoff Sunday. We got to like at least tip our hat to the Green Bay Packers, especially because like several of you are, I'm I'm impressed, right? right? I don't know. Some of you are like subtle or didn't mean to wear the Green Bay color. Uh, Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, you're, you're in it. Okay. So those, that's who I'm talking to right now. But here's the thing, I'm unashamedly a Packer fan. Would love to know that the Packers are going to win, but it makes the game a whole lot less exciting, 
right? When we're watching football, we like to see it unfold. We like to see, you know, the drama of it all. Who's actually going to win out in the end? I'm hoping for a good game, but I'm hoping that the Packers have more points on that scoreboard than the Bears at the end. I think Bears are hoping that for the first time in a very long time that they got a shot, right? Because Aaron Rodgers is no longer in Green Bay. But here's the thing. What's happening right here is there's a little tip that's kind of beginning. We are seeing a flash. Maybe you've recorded a game and you've accidentally seen the end of the game and you're like, well, that kind of ruins the rest of the game. John is telling us the scoreboard at the end of the game. He says, the light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. The, the uh, tense of that verb is not just speaking in the past, it's speaking like in, in all of time, that it is not going to win. The darkness is not going to win. John is going to say that the light is going to win out in the end. Jesus wins, okay? I've read to the end of the book. I read like the last few pages. Jesus wins. He's victorious. And what he's saying here is at the beginning that you're going to see this, that Jesus comes. He comes into the darkness, and the light overcomes the darkness, For some of us, maybe that's the truth that you needed to hear this morning, is that the darkness, the difficult situation that you're in this morning, that Jesus wants to shine his light into it, and the darkness will not overcome. I shared with the team this morning that, you know what, when we we pray as a church, the enemy takes notice. I don't know how it's been in your house this week, but this, our, our house this week was full of challenges, like you wouldn't believe And it took me to like the end of the week when I realized, I'm like, oh wait, the whole church is praying right now. I'm sure the enemy's not too happy about that, right? Darkness is gonna try and overtake and overcome the light. And so he's doing everything in his power that he can to overtake it. So there's been attack for sure. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I wanna tell you something. The enemy doesn't win. Jesus wins. The darkness will not overcome it. We know the scoreboard at the end of the game. That's what John is giving us here. He talks about John the Baptist, right, coming to bear witness, kind of the forerunner. Let's skip down to verse 9, though. It says, The true life, which gives light to everything, was coming into the world. So Jesus, he was in the world, right? He was born. He was living. He was doing ministry. He's working miracles. He's teaching. And what happens? Well, here, the very creator of the universe was present in the universe, the world that was made through him, yet what happened? The world did not know him. Has this ever happened? I don't know how big your workplace is, but has this ever happened like in your workplace or maybe, you know, maybe when you went to school or something, some, some person comes in and you're like, hey, you know, like, what's up, dude? Or something like that. And then like later you find out like, oh, that was the boss. Like I didn't, <laughs> I've never met them. I didn't know that's who it was, like, right? Like it's a little embarrassing if you don't know the person at the top. Here's what happened. The very creator of the universe put on flesh. We're going to see that in a second. He dwelt among us. He lived, breathed, worked, taught, worked miracles. And the world's like, who are you? We don't know you. They didn't recognize that the light, the giver of life, was present in the world. He came to his own. That's the Jewish people. But they didn't receive him. They rejected him. They crucified him. But to all who did receive him, both Jews and Gentiles alike, to all who received him, what did he do? He gave the right, those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, this is how we receive life from God. It's by believing and receiving. Receiving and believing in him. It's a faith and then a living out of that faith. It's a faith that changes us. 
It's a belief that resonates in, in who we are. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve it. There's nothing that you can do to add to what Jesus has done. You need to only receive and believe in what he has done. And you will have the right to become children of God. By doing so, you will receive the life of Jesus into your spiritually dead souls. And I believe this, that as we walk through John, that we are going to, by faith, we're going to be praying and and just trusting that there are baptisms coming down the road in the the coming weeks and months that are going to come because people are going to see and understand to receive and believe in Jesus and receive life again. I don't know about you, church, but that's what fires me up. That's what wakes me up in the morning. That's why we're here, is that we would know and understand and remember the life that is found in Jesus. Some of you have found that life. Would you be refreshed and reminded of what it means to receive the life in Jesus Christ as we walk through this together? But to those of you that are here this morning that have never received, today could be your day. You could receive the life that Jesus gives and believe on his name, and you will be brought into his family, brought into right relationship with him, the way you were created to be. Not born of blood, not born of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. He is the giver, the bringer of life, the only source of life. And third, and we'll end with this, Jesus is the giver of grace upon grace. In giving that life, he gives us grace, but he gives grace upon grace. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It means he put on a body, right? He was born as a baby and all that it came with, all that it brought, Right? He had bones, he had, he had muscles. He experienced tiredness and emotions, all of that. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled, he, he set up a tent, he stuck around, he hung out for a while. And it says that we have seen his glory. The glory is only the son of the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of both grace and truth. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out that he was of whom I said. He comes after me, ranks, because he was before me. We're going to get back to John the Baptist next week. We're going to kind of pass over that for now. But he says, for him, for from his fullness, we have all received, I love this phrase, grace upon grace. Circle that, underline that, put a square around that. What a great phrase, grace upon grace. It's grace lavished with grace. It's grace sprinkled with grace. Grace drizzled with grace. We understand this many times, right? Like we, if, you're, if you're having a birthday, like you want cake upon cake, right? You want like frosting on frosting. I took my kids to a donut shop the other day. They got like chocolate with chocolate on top of it, right? On vacation, we, had, uh, we, we did this. I don't know why we did this. We thought this was a good idea at the store. It worked out not to be the great idea, but my father-in-law, uh, grandpa, wanted to buy a pint for all of us, and we passed it around the table, and everyone just, we had a minute to eat as much as we could, then we passed to the next person. We're sharing germs. Didn't matter. I don't know how it goes in your family. We don't care about that. We're eating, we're eating. We're just like ice cream upon ice cream. As soon as like 10 minutes were over, we're like, I'm sick. Like, I can't, like, what were we thinking? All these things are gone. We're like, we just all ate a pint. Like, what are we doing? This was so bad. Grace upon grace. That's the idea here. It's like more than we can handle. I share that silly illustration to just say that this is what Jesus brings. The fullness we have all received is grace upon grace. What is grace? It is undeserved, undeserved merit. It's getting what we don't deserve. He says the law through Moses, the law was given through Moses, right? It was requirement, it was rules, it was regulation. We just looked at all that in Hebrews. 
But what did Jesus bring? Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The grace of Jesus is this. The greatest grace of Jesus is this, is that he reveals God to us. If you know Jesus, you know God himself. If you have read and heard the words of Jesus, you have read and heard the words of God himself. If Jesus has worked in your heart and in your life, then, Jesus, then God has worked in your heart and in your life. The grace of Jesus is this, is that he makes God known to us because he himself is God. Listen, church, the trouble, the struggle that you're walking through right now, I'm telling you, Jesus is at the center of it. He's the reason why you are going through that so that you would have a greater understanding of who he is and he's the answer that you're looking for and he is the, the hope that's gonna sustain you through. He's not the one who caused it, but he's the one who can get you out of it. Like He is the answer that you are looking for. If anything is good in your life, I'm telling you, it comes because of the grace that Jesus has lavished upon you, his grace upon grace, right? The life that is found in him. And anytime that we convince ourselves otherwise or we look other places, we are missing it. We need a fresh look at Jesus. I can't wait to walk through this book together. Can I just leave you with one encouragement of how to prepare and get ready for it? As we wrap up, I just want to encourage you this, that you would spend time on your own. See, John will mean so much more if the only time you're studying it is not right here in these seats, okay? So I would encourage you, here's, here's what I would encourage. Week one, I would read these 18 verses like every day. Go home this afternoon, read them again. Tomorrow, read them again. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day this week, read these 18 verses. This is the intro. It sets the stage. We're gonna see all these themes played out in the weeks to come, months to come. Then on Saturday, if you can, this Saturday, I would encourage you, read the entire book of John in one sitting. If you listen to it on Dwell, it'll take you two hours. It is an incredible exercise to read whole books of the Bible all at once. If you can set aside two hours to do it, do it. If you can't make it through all at once, pick another day, find another day. I would encourage you at some point in the next couple weeks, find a chance, set aside some time to read through the entire book together. If that seems like a lot, I'm just, I'm loving you in that. You're like, I can't believe the pastor's telling us to read the entire book of John in one sitting. I know, right? It is so good for you though. I'm telling you, God will show you stuff. And then I would encourage you, add this. Wherever you're reading in scripture, add a chapter of John to what you're reading. It's 21 chapters. When you read through all 21, start again. If you're not reading anywhere in scripture, hang out in John for a while. Read those 18 verses, read the entire thing, then begin chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter, chapter by chapter. What we wanna do is we wanna saturate ourselves not with just this sermon series or kind of some view. We wanna saturate ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ. It gives us this heavenly look, this spiritual understanding from one of Jesus' best earthly friends of who he was and what he said and what he did and that believing in him that we would find life in his name. This is the best thing that we can do it's the best thing that we can do right now. And so I'm ready for it. I'm excited. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that in you we find the life and the light, the hope that we are looking for. Jesus, I pray that you will, as we know that you will, God, you are faithful to your word. I pray that we will see you in a fresh light, a fresh understanding. And God, that we will respond to you anew. God, thank you. Thank you for showing yourself to us. Jesus, thank you for your revelation, for your uh, perfect, revealed uh, nature that we see in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray that you will use this study in the weeks and months of the year to come. We thank you for it. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.